Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there. I hope you are having a great day. Today, I want to talk to you about the link between sensory processing disorder or sensory issues and anxiety. There is a huge overlap and a really big correlation between sensory issues and anxiety. And unfortunately, I think that a lot of times those issues are treated in two completely separate worlds. You know, a lot of times sensory issues are treated in the occupational therapy world and anxiety obviously is treated in the child therapy world. But as a child therapist, I can tell you there is a huge overlap and a lot of parents that come and see me and start to give me a history on their anxious kids will start to describe a kid with a lot of sensory issues. And so I find myself not only being the child therapist to address the anxiety, but I also have to support the parent and the child and teach them what sensory processing is and how it's impacting their child. And a lot of times they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was a thing because they'll start describing their child and they'll say, you know, she really hates the bumps in the socks. She needs seamless socks. You know, it takes us forever to get ready in the morning because she doesn't know what to wear. She doesn't like tags. She likes only cotton clothes that are soft. She can't wear collars. Things are too tight. Things are too loose. Her shoes have to be really tight or her shoes have to be really loose or she can't wear sneakers. She has to wear flip-flops or Crocs. Forget about jeans. That's just totally out of the question. And I'll be really lucky if I can even get near her hair, let alone do any fancy little style to it. That incorporates a lot of sensory issues right there. And so sometimes when parents are telling me this, I'm like, yep, I've heard this all before. And for some parents, you know, they understand that these are sensory issues and other parents are like, wait, what? You heard this before? What is this? And they have a child who is sensitive inside and out, which makes a lot of sense really, because when you have anxiety, you are emotionally sensitive. You absorb the world and you absorb it too intensely. It's overwhelming. And a lot of times anxious kids, not always, but sometimes are more introverted and they are easily impacted by emotions around them. And they're also impacted by things that are sensorily around them, their, their touch and smell and hearing and all of those things. And even movement impact them and at different levels, depending on your child. So that is a very brief, compact version of sensory processing. I'm not going to spend the podcast going into that in detail. I'll leave links below that you can explore that if you haven't really delved into that, or if this is kind of a new topic for you. But what I do want to talk about today is just how that relates to anxiety and anxious kids. And if you're listening to this, you are probably parenting an anxious child and you should have sensory issues on your radar because if you don't, some of your child's behavior is going to be frustrating and maybe even annoying because you don't realize it's more of a sensory issue than a behavioral issue. So let's back up and I'll start talking to you a little bit about my own experience. 12 years ago, I feel like I am ancient (laughs) when I say that 12 years ago, I was in an infant and toddler mental health training program and I'm sitting there and my child, my first child was only, she was probably a year or maybe even a little bit less than a year old at the time. And they started to describe sensory issues and I didn't have any experience with sensory issues at the time. 
either professionally or personally. And it was a relatively new thing that people were talking about in the infant toddler mental health world at the time. So they start describing these difficult children, these difficult toddlers who, you know, don't like socks and don't like clothes and have a lot of tactile defensiveness, which is just a fancy term for, you know, basically their skin is super sensitive. And so what wouldn't bother me would completely bother them on their skin, on their tongue, different things for different people. And so I was going through all this and I kept raising my hand saying, well, isn't that normal? You know, don't all kids have some issues with texture? Don't all kids gag? Don't all babies have to be held kind of like facing outward and not towards you? I mean, aren't they all a little bit like that? And everybody would just stare at me (laughs) like, oh, you poor person. You have no idea. Eventually I stopped raising my hand and I realized they were describing my kid and my kid had sensory processing issues and she was only a year old. So I didn't know that anxiety was to follow and we were going to have a lot of other things to happen, but she had major sensory issues. And so I just became quiet and I took notes. Now, fast forward 13 years and we had a long bumpy road. She had a lot of texture issues. She couldn't eat because she would gag every time she ate. So we had to go get a feeding therapist and I had to give up any hope for beautiful hair or beautiful clothes. I was just happy if she was wearing clean clothes because she would only wear a handful of clothes. So it was, it was a really long process, but I taught her, I taught her about her sensitive skin and her sensitive nose and her sensitive mouth. We kind of talk about it in my house. Like these are superpowers because fast forward, you know, I have a son and a daughter on top of that now, and they all have their own issues with some sensory things, not nearly as bad or as intense as her, but they all have, they all have something. And even if I like analyze myself, I have something. And I think if you analyze you, you probably have something. I feel like we're all on the spectrum where we have some sensitivities, just some are debilitating and others are just, you know, understandable. We have a name for it now. I realize I can't stand tags. Like they itch my back and I'll go nuts. And so I cut my tags out. I have a whole bunch of other stuff, but you're probably not going to want to hear about it. (laughs) So you want to pay attention to your child's anxiety and see if some of it is more sensory related because it's kind of the chicken or the egg thing to have sensory processing issues is overwhelming and it can, it can produce a lot of anxiety Like for instance, with my daughter, she would get very anxious around food because it would trigger her gag reflex and she would gag, she would throw up. And so eating became an anxious time and we had to really work on creating a calm environment for her while she was eating because it was such a stressful thing. Now that was pure sensory, but the byproduct of it was anxiety. So that's one way. Sometimes kids who are overwhelmed with noises and sounds will have anxiety going out in public. Well, the trigger, the origin of the anxiety is the sensory issue. And that's what's actually causing the anxiety. So that's where the chicken or the egg thing comes. Because if you have those sensitivities, you are much more likely to have anxiety as well. Now, not every kid with sensory processing issues has anxiety. And not every kid with anxiety has sensory processing issues. You know, it doesn't always have to go one way or the other but they correlate more often than your child without anxiety, for example. 
So even if you have a child that's like afraid to go outside because there's too much noise, that kid also might have his own legitimate anxiety that is completely separate from any sensory issue. And he might be afraid to go outside because he's afraid, he's irrationally afraid of getting stung by a bee. And so he might avoid going outside altogether because he's phobic. And so you, you can have both, but it's important to figure out with your own children, what is sensory, what's anxiety, because you're going to treat them differently. And so if it's a child who's having a hard time with noises and crowds and not because of social anxiety, not because they're afraid they're going to be judged or they might do something embarrassing, but the noise is literally overstimulating for them. Then I work with kids to talk to them about, you know, wearing earplugs. Some kids we have wearing headphones. Some kids we talk about walking on the perimeter of the crowd so that they can feel like they can breathe and move away from the noise. Now, if it's social anxiety or a fear of embarrassment, I would do cognitive behavioral therapy with them and I would teach them how to rethink and reframe those cognitive distortions. So totally different approach. And that's why it's important that if you have an anxious child, delve into it a little bit and pay attention to what is triggering those behaviors. Oftentimes you might see it in overlap because I do in my practice all the time where, you know, I have kids who say, you know, the smell really bothers me, but then they might say, and I'm afraid of the germs. So now we're dealing with two different things, you know, they're both debilitating, but we have to tackle them in a little bit of a different way. If you have that typical sensitive child, then they are going to be sensitive inside and out. And so you want to pay attention to different areas that can affect their sensory input. The skin is a big one. So tactile defensiveness or feeling more sensitive with their clothes and their environment is definitely one area to pay attention to. A lot of anxious kids I work with are sensitive to hearing. And so they get overwhelmed and startled really easily. And they also get a fear of being startled, which, which is an anxiety theme. And if they're more sensitive with their hearing, that's even going to be more upsetting. And so they're going to be more hypervigilant about getting startled or being startled. And that's going to, that can be a fear. Another one to look out for is smell. I see a lot of anxious kids who have an acute sense of smell and they literally have a nose that smells better than yours. (laughs) Like this is not uh, a figment of their imagination. These are real real issues and they are feeling them in a more intense way than you. And so we can't discount them and just be like, get over it. It's a bump on a sock, move on. They're not going to, because they're really going to feel it. Just like when I have that tag in my back of my shirt, I, it itches. It feels like there is sandpaper in the back of my shirt, itching me, scratching me. And that's not going to go away. If I ignore it, it it's permanently there until I either change my shirt or cut the tag out. And there are certain shirts that I can't wear at all because when my arms kind of rub against the shirt, whether it's like a weird pattern or it's a little bit rough, it irritates me. (laughs) I know I'm a freak, but you know, we didn't have a name for that when I was in, when I was growing up in the seventies, it was like, whatever, just put on a different shirt. But now I'm like, Oh, now I understand why I have that. So pay attention to your child's smells because they're going to smell a lot more acutely if that's one of those sensory issues that they're having. For some kids I work with who already have anxiety. So maybe you have a child who has anxiety about throwing up. Fear of throwing up is a very big one. We actually talked about it a little bit in the last 
podcast, podcast 14, when I talked about child anxiety and stomach issues. And I also talked about it when I discussed school refusal and child anxiety. And that was episode seven, when I talk about anxious kids who don't want to go to school. A lot of times their anxiety theme was fear of throwing up. If you have a child who has stomach issues, you do want to check out those two episodes because they are going to resonate with you. So a lot of times the kids that I work with who do have a fear of throwing up and do have some anxiety around going out in public, they are highly affected by smells. And that's partly because of their anxiety, but it's also partly because of some sensory issues. And even kids that I work with who have panic attacks, sometimes they're triggered by smells or they're afraid that they're going to smell something. And ironically, often it's food, believe it or not. So a lot of those kids will tell me, I can't go to a restaurant because the smells are too strong, or I'm afraid to go to school because what if someone throws up and I smell it, it's going to make me want to throw up. And so intervention wise, what I do as a therapist is I teach them to put like oils on their wrist. And when they're feeling overwhelmed by a smell, they can have that tool like right there available. They can smell their wrist and that way they can block out or overpower the smell that is triggering them and overwhelming them. So there are, there are techniques that overlap that are addressing sensory issues and anxiety issues. And that's why you can see that they really go hand in hand. There are also kids who have vestibular issues, which is a really fancy word for, I'm going to just be very simplistic in this podcast and I'm not an occupational therapist, so it's not even my world, but kids who have a hard time, you know, being hung upside down or spun around or being backwards in cars or going fast on amusement rides, they are more at risk for motion sickness. And a lot of times, if you are a sensitive person and you're anxious, you might have some issues with your vestibular system. And I totally get this not to be like, this podcast is all about me, Natasha. But I have this, like, I cannot, I was that kid who, if I was in the back seat of the car, I would like get car sick, no matter how far we were going. I even get car sick when I drive myself. <laughs> is that sad? I'm like, oh, slow down. And I'm talking to me because I don't even know if anybody else on this planet gets car sick when they're driving themselves. But this lady over here, she does. I can't even go on like kitty rides. And sometimes like we were on a trip a couple of weeks ago, maybe like a month ago now. And they were like these spinner rides. They were no, I'm sorry. They were not spinner rides. They were bumper cars. So it looked innocuous. It looked like this cute little small ride. It was indoors. It was like nothing. And I'm trying to think, I think the problem was my youngest daughter was not tall enough. And so they're like, we, we need a grown up. Now I'm not normally the one to volunteer for these things because I have vestibular issues, which I didn't even know that was a word until I was an adult. But so I volunteered because I'm like bumper cars, like that's fun. Nothing can go wrong there. Well, they were like uh, nightmare cars in disguise. So the minute I got, I get on there, the music goes. And then like every 10 seconds, the bumper cars stop. I don't know if you've ever seen this at like any amusement parks or things that you've been around, but they stop and then they spin rapidly. All the cars spin rapidly for like 10 seconds and then they go again. I wanted to literally die. I wanted to like scream and tell the lady to stop the ride. And my husband, like he was just laughing on the side because he knows how I am with my stomach. And this was not part of the master plan. I would not have gone on that. It was a nightmare. So anyway, total side note. But if your child is like that, 
if I'm describing your child, then they're not being a big baby. They're not being anxious. They're not being afraid. They're having a vestibular issue. And that's why it's important for us to explore what's sensory and what's anxiety, because I wasn't afraid of spinning. It makes me physically sick. I have a different reaction than maybe you do. So you go on there and it's fun. I go on there and my stomach wants to kill me. That's not anxiety. That's a physical sensation. I'm never going to overcome that. I can go on that ride a zillion times and I'm never going to acclimate. I'm never going to be like, okay. And I say that because I do have a lot of parents who feel like their children are fearful and maybe they have anxious, sensitive children and they force them to go on rides at amusement parks because they want them to get over it. And I have a huge heart for those kids. And I try to tell those parents, don't do that because it's not about, it's not necessarily about bravery. A lot of times it's about a physical reaction they're having because of sensory issues. So just want to mention that because these are all related. Up next, we're going to talk about sensory issues and picky eating and how they overlap and how they relate to each other. And then we're also going to talk about how do you help the sensory part of your child when they're anxious. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Okay, so I want to talk about picky eating because out of all the sensory issues, that is the most common one that I see overlapping. Lots of, lots of kids are having issues with socks or jeans, but more kids are having issues with food. And you probably know what I'm talking about because if you have an anxious child, they can be super picky about what they eat. And it's a twofer because a child can have sensory issues because as we just talked about, like ad nauseum, if a child is anxious, they're more at risk for some sensory issues as well. So, and in fact, just a tangent right now, a lot of times I see the sensory component before I see the anxiety component. So when I'm looking at anxious toddlers and I'm diagnosing anxious toddlers, almost all the symptoms that I'm looking at when I'm looking at an anxious toddler are going to be somewhat sensory related. And I wrote this article, 10 signs of an anxious toddler, and almost all of them are, are somewhat sensory related. And I got a lot of comments on my website about that article, like, Hey, this is sensory processing. This isn't anxiety. <clears throat> and I had to rewrite the article a couple times to clearly explain to people that, yes, I get that that's sensory, but there's, those are also precursors to anxiety that the sensory component pops up before often the anxiety does. And so anyway, that was a total side note, but I wanted to mention that, but picky eating is a big one because a lot of anxious kids are very nervous to eat new foods. They only want particular brands. They might even, they might like macaroni and cheese, but not only will they only eat macaroni and cheese, but they're only going to eat the craft macaroni and cheese, or maybe they'll eat waffles, but the only kind of waffle they're going to eat is the ego waffle. So they're like beyond picky. They like take picky and they supersize it. They take picky to another level that probably typical parents don't think you can get to. But if you're parenting an anxious kid, you know that, yeah, you can get to that level pretty easily. So how do you differentiate 
picky eating with just a fear of trying new foods with maybe a sensory component. All right, so let's break it down. We'll talk about the sensory component first. So when you have an anxious kid who's having sensory issues, they are going to be sensitive to the texture of food. So any mixed texture like um, rice pudding, yogurts with fruit in it, that kind of thing will make them gag or will give them kind of a disgusting feeling because they're having kind of a sensory reaction to it. And so they, they can't handle that. Also, some kids have a hard time with chewy, like chewy meats, like steak or pork chops, something that's chewy, um, or, you know, even chicken, but not chicken nuggets because that's kind of processed. The meat is easier to eat. So that's different. My oldest daughter had such an issue with feeding due to sensory issues that she was losing a lot of weight and she, was, she wasn't able to eat solid food way after her second birthday. And I was worried that she would never be able to really eat normally. And it was touch and go for quite a while because she couldn't handle textured foods and flavors were more intense for her. So she had to have very bland food. And so there was a lot, we had to figure out what her sensory needs were and then slowly introduce her to textures and to different tastes, but she's still really picky, but at least she eats. So that is good. And she's 13, so she can feed herself. So that's fine. So look and see if your child's having an issue with textures or with, if it's too chewy or if it's too crunchy or the flavors, you know, things that would be related to sensory issues. And then you can dress it also with tackling their anxiety. For instance, my seven-year-old son, he doesn't have sensory issues. And so he's not worried about biting into something and then being surprised by some sort of texture that he doesn't like. He is afraid to try new things. And he's worried that if he tastes it and it's spicy or he tastes it and it's too hot or he tastes it and it's a flavor that is unexpected, that he's going to be um, overwhelmed by it. And it, it doesn't seem to be predominantly sensory in nature, but it's more of an anxiety. So you can see how they, they look almost identical. But with him, I teach him, okay, you can have a drink right next to you. And here's a napkin right next to you. And so if you take a bite and you don't like it, you can just spit it out into the napkin. And that seemed to help. And I'll just put a little bit of something on his plate, but he's ridiculously picky. So I can't even say that we are doing really well in that area because he is ridiculously picky. And that is for another podcast because he has some OCD feeding issues, which I'll save that for an OCD podcast. <laughs> They're like ugh, issues everywhere. But I want you to be able to understand that there's a sensory component to picky eating. And if you address that with your child and say, what's the worst part about what you're eating and you're giving them a casserole and they're like, ugh, I just don't know what to expect in this casserole. And there's bumps here and there's like some surprises, you know, then you want to slowly acclimate your child. So you give them smooth food for a while, and then you might introduce one or two uh, textured items in there. And I'm not going to go into detail about how you do that because that is a complete podcast in and of itself. And I'm not an occupational therapist, but I do want you to know that you want to address it and you want to slowly get your child to adapt so they can start feeling more confident. Versus the parents that I work with who think their child is just being stubborn and get into food battles with their kids, which really exasperate the problem. So if you draw the line and you're like, you have to eat that or you can't leave the table or you have to eat that or you're going to eat that for breakfast, 
that's really not addressing either their sensory issue or their anxiety issue and will completely backfire. So I always tell parents not to do that kind of stuff when we're talking about feeding. So what do you do if you have a child who has sensory issues and has anxiety? Well, unfortunately, they are somewhat two different worlds, but I don't think it's an an either or situation as far as what type of professional you go to. You can take your child to occupational therapy and have that occupational therapist work on their sensory issues, which is a great thing to do because that's a totally different therapy than if you take your child to a child therapist. And having said that, I think it's important also to go to a child therapist, even if your child only has sensory issues and mild anxiety, it is so emotionally overwhelming for both the family and the child to deal with sensory issues that a lot of times families will come to me to talk about just stress levels and how to approach a child who, you know, doesn't want to wear anything to teach the child all about their body and what's going on and to teach them how to cope with the sensory overload. Having said that, the child therapist would deal with the anxiety component as well. So if I have sensory issues and I have anxiety and I don't want to go outside because I'm afraid of smells and noises, and I'm also afraid I'm going to get really hurt, you know, then a child therapist can address all of those, even the sensory ones. So get an assessment. If you're not sure about the sensory issues, you can go to an occupational therapist and get a sensory profile done get an assessment and say, does my child have sensory issues? And if so, are there things that you can do for my child or are there things I can do at home? I, you know, read a lot of books on it and I found that I could do a lot of the occupational stuff at home. Once I knew what I was doing, then I was able to incorporate that in my home life. And you can as well. There's some really good books on all sorts of topics and you can, you can read those. The out of sync child is a really good one. And I think there's some workbooks that come with that book. You can get the out of sync child activities for kids with sensory processing disorder. I believe that's, um, that's what that book is called. And those are, those are great books. You know, if you're going to just get any book, go get those. They've been around forever and they're very, very helpful. So the out of sync child and out of sync child has fun. I believe it's called, it's by Carol uh, Kranowicz. I might be mispronouncing her name. But those are like the go-to books that I would read if you want to learn more about sensory processing and what activities you can do at home. For the anxiety, either, you know, if you have it under control, you don't need to go to a child therapist, but if you need some extra support, I think that's helpful as well. If you want more information about how to help a child with sensory issues, or if you're saying, wow, you know, my child has anxiety, but I had no idea that maybe some of this stuff is sensory related. There is a free workshop coming up. Actually, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, May 9th, there is a workshop tonight. And if you're not listening to this after 7 p.m. Eastern time, you can still probably make it. It's a free live online workshop. And it is how to create a successful, no stress sensory diet for kids in four simple steps. And it is run by these two professionals who are, I believe one's an occupational therapist and the other one has her master's in, I think, education, but they're really good with sensory stuff. They, they have workshops all the time and I hear they're really good. Actually, I'm signed up for this one. So I will leave a link below. If you happen to be listening to this May 9th or May 10th, because they're having one for Tuesday at 7 PM and they're having one Wednesday, May 10th, 
we're talking about 2017 because I know you might be listening to this in another year and you'd be like, what? This was like three years ago. But for those that are listening to this in real time, you can make this workshop. The other one is Wednesday, May 10th at 1.30 Eastern time. So I'll leave a link if you want to sign up for those. Well, it's only one, but you can do it on Tuesday or Wednesday. Because how awesome is that? A free workshop that will completely break it down and tell you what steps you need to take in order to help your child better. I think that's cool. So if you have ideas for this podcast, you can always reach me. You can go to my website at anxioustoddlers.com and click on the contact button. And I would be happy to hear from you. It would be actually pretty awesome. And if you are enjoying my podcast, I would love it. And I know I say this every episode, but I would love it if you could take 60 seconds out of your time and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are downloading this podcast. That would help me tremendously to know that I'm impacting you and that I'm helping. So if you have some time to spare and you've been hearing me kind of say this at the end of every podcast, if you can do that, I would really appreciate it. So until next time, I hope you find the sparkle in every day and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.